As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, good morning, High Point. If you're joining us online, welcome. So glad that you're streaming with us today. Hey, have you heard the story of Sarah Forbes Bonetta? Do you know her story? It's a fascinating story. She was an orphan slave in Africa, and she became the adopted goddaughter of Queen Victoria in England in the mid-1800s. She was born in 1843 as a princess in her tribe in West Africa. And when she was five years old, another tribe from West Africa attacked her tribe, killing her parents on a slave hunt and captured her as an orphan and made her a slave. When she was eight years old, a captain from the British Royal Navy rescued her and brought her to England. And she was brought to Queen Victoria, and Queen Victoria adopted her as her goddaughter into the royal family. She was educated and welcomed into Windsor Castle. 4,000 years before this slave orphan girl was adopted as a goddaughter into a royal family, another forgotten and fatherless son of a royal family was shown the kindness of a king of another royal family. That's where we're going to today. If you have a copy of God's word, open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're in a series entitled Unsung Heroes. We are looking at overlooked stories, overlooked characters, overlooked people in the Bible. The title of this message is this, it's the forgotten son, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Imagine growing up with that as your name, Mephibosheth. Imagine being in preschool, learning to write your name, Mephibosheth. Imagine going into a souvenir store and looking for a keychain or a magnet or a sticker. You see Matt, you see Mike, but no Mephibosheth on the rack. Can you imagine signing your signature? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Let's all say it together. Mephibosheth. You think about four syllables. You can see it here on the screen. Mephibosheth. So let's say it again. Mephibosheth. Let's say it four times real fast. Mephibosheth, 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 Mephibosheth. Turn to your neighbor and say Mephibosheth. I think we got the character down. The story that we are going to read today is one of the most sweetest stories of kindness you will read in all of literature. 
It's the story of King David's kindness to Mephibosheth. It's also a picture of God's kindness to us. And so if you're taking notes here today, we're going to look at three realities of God's kindness. The first reality is this, is that God's kindness reaches us. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness? If you have a pen and a Bible, underline that word kindness. Is there anyone that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So a quick history lesson. Uh, David is the king of Israel, but he is the second king of Israel. Who's the first king of Israel? The first king is... Saul. And when Saul was king of Israel, Samuel appointed David to be the next king. Saul did not like that. Saul put a bounty on David's head and started a manhunt to kill David. David's best friend is Saul's own son, Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, you'll read the story of the covenant that Jonathan and David made with each other that they would provide and protect for each other's families. In 1 Samuel 31, we read that Saul and David and all the descendants of Saul were killed in a battle with the Philistines at Jezreel. All the descendants were killed except one, Mephibosheth. And so we first read about Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 4. It says this in verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news of about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And a nurse took him up and fled, and she, and as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. It's a tragic story. So here's a caretaker who was seeking to keep this little boy from harm, but yet in her haste caused harm to him and accidentally dropped him causing him to be crippled in both of his feet and lame for the rest of his life. That's Mephibosheth. And so with that as a context, we come back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Again, verse 1, and David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So again, remember, back in 1 Samuel 20, this covenant that he made with Jonathan, and he wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, I'm your servant. And verse 3, and the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God, underline those three words, kindness of God, to him. And Ziba said to the king, there still is a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. We just read that story. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, 
He is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Lodabar means barrenness. It's desolate. It's a place without hope. And so here is Mephibosheth, forgotten, fatherless, in a place without hope. Let's think about some of these statistics as it relates to father, fatherhood and fatherlessness. We see them from the National Institute of Fatherhood. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million children, get this, more than one out of four children live without a father in their home. This should break our hearts. One out of four children. This is three times the global average of 7% of children grow up around the world without a father in their home. One in four in America. Let's think about six other facts. Involved dads improve the child's overall emotional and social well-being. Children with involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. Children who live with their dads do better in school. Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. Think about the generational impact. Maybe you grew up in a family without a father. You can break that cycle. Women with absent fathers are more likely to have children with absent fathers. And last, boys have fewer behavioral problems and girls have fewer psychological problems when they have involved dads in their life. Clearly, clearly the role of the dad matters in the home. Can we praise God for the unsung dads that are here in this room? We praise God for you and the role that you play in your family. That said... Fatherlessness is a big problem, a big issue in our country. Fatherlessness happens for a lot of different reasons. I hope that we understand this. Happens because of death. Happens because of divorce. It happens because of danger. It happens because of delinquency. There isn't one reason for that. And as Christians, we shouldn't have condemnation and criticism towards those who are single parents. Instead, it should be just the opposite, that we should have deep compassion for those who are single parents. Do you realize that most single parents, they don't go to church? Why don't most single parents go to church? Just think about this. Most single parents, many single parents, they feel shame. And on top of that, they feel shamed by Christians who go to church. Let that sink in. May that not be true of us here in this place. 
And so if you are here and you are a single parent, regardless of how you became a single parent, if you are a single mom or a single dad, we love you. God loves you. God sees you. God is not against you. God is for you. God wants to meet your needs emotionally, relationally, physically, financially. God wants to meet the needs of your children. God is present where a parent may be absent. It says this in Psalm 27:10. It says, For my father and mother have forsaken me. But I love this. My mother and my father, they've forsaken me. But the Lord, the Lord has taken me in. Can we praise God for that? And so if you are here today and you're feeling alone as a single parent in your parenting, know that you're not alone. That God is with you. That we are here for you. We love you. We want to serve you and support you in any way that we can, whether it's High Point Kids or High Point Students or a parenting group or a men's group or a women's group or a hope group. Whatever we can do, we want to help and serve you. And church, church, let's be a church that shows God's kindness uh, to the single parents in our church and in our community. Can we just honor the unsung single parents that are here in our church? We praise God for you. And so here is Mephibosheth. He is forgotten. He's fatherless. He's in Lodabar. He's in this hopeless place. Was he in an orphanage? Did he get passed around in the foster care system from family to family? Is he living on the streets homeless? Is he hiding in a cave? Think about Lion King. Mufasa kills um, Simba. No, not Mufasa. No, um, Scar kills Mufasa. <laughs> and then he sends his jackals to go and kill Simba. Why? Because as long as Simba lives, there's a threat to Scar's throne as the Lion King. But David isn't like Scar. David isn't trying to kill um, Mephibosheth. He's trying to show him kindness. And so just as, think about this, just as David's kindness reaches Mephibosheth, God's kindness reaches us. God's kindness reaches each and every one of us, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what's been said to you or said about you, no matter who you are, God's kindness reaches you. Maybe you're in a season of suffering and struggling. Join the club. Many of us are. 
God's kindness reaches you. But God's kindness does more than reach us. God's kindness restores us. Let's see this here in the text. Picking up in verse 5. And King David sent and brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. Again, is Mephibosheth thinking that he's going to be killed? What's going to happen? Notice his actions and notice his words. And he fell on his face and he paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness, underline that word, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore, underline that word, to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. And he, Mephibosheth, paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Do you see his actions? Do you see his words? Do you see how he views himself? He falls down and he pays homage. He says, I'm your servant. Perhaps that's humility. But then do you see how he refers to himself? Why do you regard me a dead dog such as I? Words of humiliation. Now this term, it doesn't translate into modern culture today. When we think about a dog, we think about domestic dogs. Here's a picture of our own dog, Wrigley. He's all dressed up and ready for Valentine's Day. And so if you are picturing a dog like this, as you read 2 Samuel 9, we're missing it. When he says a dead dog such as I, he's talking about a repulsive, disgusting, vile animal. If this were to be written today, perhaps he would say, why do you regard me? I'm just a pile of fill in the blank. I'm just a piece of do you see the shame that's in those words? What's humility? Humility is thinking about yourself less. But humiliation is thinking less of yourself. It's shame. We see the shame that's in his words and if we see ourselves view ourselves through shame, we're going to live in shame. Many people, they carry around shame every day, all day, wherever they go, they carry their shame with them. Shame from their past, shame from their present. Shame isn't the root. Shame is the barren. It's the dead tree. 
And so if shame is the barren dead tree, what is the root of shame? Let me suggest to you there's four roots of shame. One would be that of guilt. Another one is that of disgrace, regret, and insecurity. Let's think about this together. Guilt. There's two kinds of guilt, right? There's true guilt and there's false guilt. True guilt is the conviction that you did something wrong. False guilt is the condemnation when you did nothing wrong. Disgrace happens, you feel disgrace when you're abused, when you're mistreated, when you're abandoned. Disgrace. Regret is the soundtrack of woulda, coulda, shoulda going on in your mind constantly. And insecurity is not being satisfied. It's not being satisfied in myself. It's not being satisfied in how I look. It's not being satisfied in my abilities. It's not being satisfied in where I'm at in life. I'm insecure. And because people feel guilt, disgrace, regret, and insecurity, they carry shame. They carry shame with them every day. They get out of bed, they pick it up, and they carry shame with them wherever they go. I'm touching on a tough topic. We need a whole message and more to unpack this. But I want you to know this, that if you have shame from guilt, God forgives. If you have shame from disgrace, God can heal, can heal you emotionally. You have shame from regret, God redeems. If you have shame from insecurity, God satisfies. So if you're carrying shame, three real quick truths. Number one is this, shame is not from God. It never is. And so if you have thoughts of shame, that's not from God. The second thing is God is not ashamed of you. He never has been and never will be ashamed of you. God loves you. And then the third thing is that Jesus bore our shame on the cross. And if he bore our shame on the cross, we don't need to carry our shame with us. That we can lay our shame at the foot of the cross knowing that he carries it for us and we can live the shame-free life. Praise God for that. And so here is Mephibosheth. He's feeling shame in front of the king. And the king responds with amazing kindness. Notice what the king says. Notice the kindness of his words. And David said to him, do not fear. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And here it is. I will restore to you the land of, your Saul, of Saul, your father. Do you see the power, the power of words? 
Proverbs talks about that in our tongues, Proverbs 18, 21, with our tongue, with our words, we have the power of life and the power of death. So think about this as we think about our words. Are our words kind or unkind? Think about this chart. Maybe this is helpful for you. Unkind words, shame. Kind words, restore. Unkind words hurt, but kind words heal. Unkind words demoralize, kind words encourage. Unkind words tear down, kind words build up. Think about your words even this past week. Your words with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents with your siblings, with your classmates, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with strangers. Were your words kind? Were your words unkind? And with his words, he was able to restore Mephibosheth. It's not just restore land and shelter and food, but he restored dignity. What does it mean to restore? Here's a definition for restore. To restore is to bring back and to put back into former or original state. So think about this, restoring an old house or restoring an old car or restoring an old piece of furniture. This is what David did for Mephibosheth. And so just as David's kindness restored Mephibosheth, God's kindness restores us. We're the old house. We're the old car. We're the old piece of furniture. Do you understand that? But God restores us. And how does God restore us? Here's six ways that God restores us. Many ways, but here are six. Uh, number one is that God restores our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come that you are not your past. You are not your past. Some people need to hear this here today. You are not your past. You're not your worst mistake. You're not your biggest regret. You are not your past. That in Christ, you're a new creation. Can we celebrate that? That God restores our identity, that God restores, number two, the joy of our salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe you're here and you feel like your Christian walk, you're just kind of going through the motions without emotion. You've let apathy creep in. God wants to restore that apathy. He wants to replace it with joy. God restores the joy of our 
salvation. God restores our health, for I will restore health to you and your wounds. I will heal, declares the Lord. For some of you, you need to have your health physically restored. For some of us, as we're talking about carrying shame, you need to have your emotional health restored. For some of us, we need to have relational health restored. That God restores health. God restores us from our suffering. And after you have suffered a little while, it never feels like a little while, right? It always feels like it goes on and on and on. When is this going to stop? When you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, I love this, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That God is working even when you can't see him working in the midst of your suffering and God will restore you. God will restore your time. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust have eaten. Maybe you look back on your life and there's seasons of weeks or months or years, maybe even decades where you're filled with regret. I wish I would have been there more when my kids were younger. I wish I wouldn't have walked away from the Lord and done some stupid things that hurt myself and hurt other people. You live in regret about these seasons. God is a God who can restore even the years that the locust have eaten. Praise God for that. And then God restores families. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Maybe you're here and you're brokenhearted because your kids aren't walking with the Lord. The story isn't over. That God can restore them. Maybe you're here and you're going through a difficulty in your marriage. Maybe you have split up for a season. You're separated. God can restore. Don't give up hope. Our God is a God who restores. And so God's kindness restores us. In what ways do you need to experience God's restoration in your life? Restore your identity, restore your joy, restore your health physically, emotionally, relationally, restore your suffering, restore time, restore your family. How is it that you need God to restore you today? That God's kindness, it reaches us no matter where we are. God's love restores us no matter what is going on in our life. And then God's kindness, God's kindness redeems us. Let's look at the rest of the story starting in verse 9. And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, all that belong to Saul and to his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servant shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. And so King David is giving to Mephibosheth, he's giving him King Saul's own servant and his whole family to serve Mephibosheth. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that the Lord 
The king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both of his feet. How many of you have had a kid's table at a larger family gathering? Mephibosheth isn't sitting at the, king's table, at the kid's table. Why? It's not just because he's not a kid. He's got a son right now, so he's an adult, but he's not just at the kid's table. Why? Because he's invited to the king's table. To be invited to the king's table is to be a part of the family, to receive all the rights and the privileges of being a part of the royal family. Just as David's kindness redeems Mephibosheth, God's kindness redeems us. What does it mean to redeem? Pastor Ron has taught us this before. It means to be bought back and bought back. That's what God does for us is that God redeems us. God invites us to have a seat at his table that we get to experience all the rights and privileges of being a part of God's forever family. Praise God for that. Amen. Well, how do we get a seat at this table? Well, John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, they shall have the right to become children of God. But I thought everyone's a child of God. No, not everyone's a child of God. Everyone's created in the image of God, but not everyone's a child of God. How do you become a child of God? Well, it comes through believing him and receiving him. What does it mean to believe in him? It means to receive him. What does it mean to receive him? It means to believe in him. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you believed in him and received him for yourself? If not, today is the day of salvation. That Romans 2, 4, it says it's God's kindness. God's kindness leads us to repentance. Well, how do I do this? How can I be a part of God's family? What does it mean to believe and receive? It means simply this, just praying in your heart to God that, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. Most of us can admit that. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again and offers me life and forgiveness. And I receive, I choose to receive this life and forgiveness and choose to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord as best as I know how. And so if you're here today and you don't know what it means to have a relationship with the King... Today is the day that you can have that assurance. And if you already have that assurance, then you have the rights and the privileges of being a part of God's forever family. In Revelation 19, it talks about that heaven is like the marriage supper of the lamb. It says this, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. How do I get invited to the marriage supper of the lamb? It's through believing and receiving. And if you have believed and if you've received, then you are a part of the seating chart in heaven. Praise God for that. That you don't need to say, is this seat taken? 
because you have a seat at the table. I want to invite our worship team to come forward as we have been looking at this beautiful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I hope that you see the clear comparison, the clear parallel between David and Mephibosheth and God in us. That we are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. Can we say that together? I am Mephibosheth. That apart from God's grace, his mercy, his love, his kindness, we're helpless and we're hopeless. But God's kindness reaches us. God's kindness redeems us. God's kindness restores us. We are Mephibosheth. But let this not get lost. Yet, yes, we are Mephibosheth, but we are also King David. That if we have experienced the kindness of God in our life, God calls us to extend his kindness to others. Why is it that Christians have received God's kindness, but sometimes are the most unkind people? With our words, with our actions, with our attitudes towards others. That we, that we should be the most kind people on the planet. That if you are a Christian, you should be the kindest person in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, when you're at the store, and in your own home. What does kindness mean? Kindness is simply this. It's being good to others and doing good to others. Being good to others and doing good to others. Kindness is always one way. It's being kind to someone without strings attached to it. It's being kind regardless of a response from someone else. It's God's been kind to us, and so I'm just a kind person to other people. So today is February 11, 2024. I hear that there's a game happening later tonight. But February 11, 2024 is also the start, get this, the start of National Random Acts of Kindness Week. It's couldn't have been planned. This is God's sovereignty for us as we're talking about God's kindness. What if we as a church, we weren't just randomly kind this week, but what if we were intentionally kind with God's kindness? Rather than just having good intentions that we would have intentionality in our kindness with others. Imagine the gospel impact that we could have here at High Point. We say High Point cares. High Point cares is more than a ministry. It's more than a slogan. It's more than a program. It's more than a truck. It's more than a logo. I hope we understand that. High Point cares is who we are. High Point cares at the root of it, it's organic. It's we've received the kindness of God, so we're just kind people. Wherever we go, we're just dispensing God's kindness to other people. 
What would it look like if we were intentionally kind this week? Intentionally kind to coworkers, to our neighbors. What about those who serve us? Not just in a restaurant, but maybe those who teach your kids or those who are volunteering right now caring for your kids. What if we were kind? What if we were kind to the stranger in the grocery store? What if we were more kind in our own families? Husband and wife, parents and children, children and parents. What does it look like to be kind? Here are 10 examples. Certainly this is not an exhaustive list. But 10 ideas for intentional acts of kindness. Serve a single parent. Pay it forward. Pay for the car behind you in a drive through line. Thank everyone who provides a service to you. Be an encourager. Be life with your words. Write a handwritten note, an encouragement card to people. Visit someone in need. Ask someone, how can I pray for you? Serve in High Point Cares or High Point Kids. This series is Unsung Heroes. What if all of us were the unsung heroes this week? What if all of us were the people that were doing kind things to others without expecting anything in return? Oh, that we would be unsung heroes of God's kindness to others because God has been so kind to us. Let's stand. We've heard from the word. Now let's ask him to fill us up and send us out to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be God's kindness in our community this week.